0: Hello, oh, and welcome to Just What the Doctor Ordered, the University of South Carolina School of Medicine, Greenville's podcast, where we discuss news you can use from the upstate. I'm your host, Jen Manus. Today, I'm here with Dean Marjorie Jenkins and Dean Emeritus Jerry Yuki. We'll be discussing the 10th anniversary of the School of Medicine, Greenville, in our first video podcast, and we're excited to get into this milestone for our school and our community. Thank you both for joining me here today. Absolutely. To get us started, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourselves and then what led you to the School of Medicine, Greenville. Dr. Yuki, I'll start with you.
1: Well, thanks, Jen, and thanks to you and Marjorie for doing this and for having me here. Probably the best way to understand um, what got me here and what I did is a little bit of history, so I'm a military-trained vascular surgeon whose 35-year career uh, really centered all the time around clinical academic medicine. Mm -hmm. And so that included time at Walter Reed, time in Massachusetts, time at the Geisinger Clinic in Pennsylvania. And then in 1998, I was recruited down to the Greenville Health System to expand their academics and architect a group practice. Um, The Greenville Health System had been, has been in existence, had been in existence for 100 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and over that period of time had continually evolved its real academic clinical presence, starting with the first internship in the 1930s, um, up until um, we decided to start a medical school um, around 2009. It was a natural thing for me to become the dean of that because I had served as the associate dean for the presence of the University of South Carolina School of Medicine in Greenville with its branch regional campus for a decade. Um, and. Um, So we started a medical school, and um, that's how I came to be.
0: (laughs) And the rest is history. And now for where we are, Dr. Jenkins, what brought you here? Well,
2: it was, uh, you know, the job was sent to me from various people, my husband included, (laughs) who did not want to go back uh, west. And uh, we were at the FDA, we were in DC. I'm a chemical engineer by training. Uh, I'm also an internist and a personalized medicine Expert uh, and primary care. So when this job came to me uh, from my husband and then our Dean in Texas and The search firm called me uh, all within a week I knew that you know, God was speaking to me and I needed to answer that so I Applied now at the time there were 27 Dean openings and um, I applied to one Mm -hmm. so I read about Greenville. I read about the history of the school Uh, Dr. Yuki had an amazing reputation nationally. The school was known as being so innovative. Um, I received my master's in education from Johns Hopkins and so medical education innovation is a passion of mine as well. And it seemed like the job description was really written for me. So I was very blessed to be selected to be the second dean and to follow such an amazing leader as Dr. Yuki.
0: Thank you. All right, I'm gonna start you out with the hardest question, which is, what is your proudest achievement so far at School of Medicine-Greenville? So my
2: tenure here has been pretty um, interesting. Um, Six months after arriving, uh, we had entered the pandemic. And so I think the way our school really stood up, our faculty, our staff, to get our students to and through um medical school during the pandemic we did not delay graduation at all i'm so proud of that but that was built on the ability to do that was really built on the eight years of uh, jerry's uh, planning being so innovative so technologically advanced that we were really able to flip to um, distance learning and we are just a very student focused student-centered community-centered medical school and that really speaks to my heart as well. So that's what I'm so
0: um, proud of is that we really live into our mission. Yeah, that's a lot to be proud of for you, Dr. Yuki, during your tenure.
1: So it's pretty straightforward. We got the school open um, (laughs) and um, that was challenging actually in the environment in which it was open because we're 90 miles from the parent university. um, And um, we got um, not a free hand, but we really got to innovate a lot Uh, through that. We were able to open the school, stabilize the school. Uh, we recruited a good faculty and um, from the get-go, outstanding medical students. And so it was that was what Marjorie's referring to as the base um, that was built, um, frankly, good job that allowed her to survive uh, and thrive during the pandemic. And yeah. so um, I think this is a mutual pride thing. The school's still here 10 years later.
0: Yeah as it should be that's a lot of change in 10 years you mentioned the base when we opened our doors we had 48 students now 10 years later we're over 400 um obviously that's 10 years of growth and change for both of you what do you think makes our school unique what sets it apart
1: so for me um, probably important to remember that this school is one of the what's called the new millennial schools. So there were no medical schools started in the United States between 1980 and 2002 because of an incorrect forecast made by the Geminet Committee of the government predicting a glut of physicians in the United States by the year 2000. Obviously, as we all know now, um, that was erroneous. Um, And so in 2002, Florida State University became the first new medical school, the millennial medical school um and we were one of that cohort of schools there's now 157 schools in the united states that group of millennial schools um, actually um, set a new path for curriculum and education and many of those schools um, and that continues are schools that are based um, in or with a healthcare system rather at the parent university so you can think of um, Mayo was the first, actually, in the 1960s, to do that. But in modern times, um, Kaiser, um, now Atrium, HCA, mm-hmm. um, all of those entities—not not universities, but healthcare systems—have mm-hmm. started medical schools with the focus on innovative curriculum, a focus on students, and an understanding that healthcare um, and medical education is going to continually change, yeah. and so.
0: For you, Dr. Jenkins, I know uh, Dr. Yuki mentioned our relationship with the healthcare system and I want to come back to that in a minute, but I'd love for you, sitting where you are now, three years in, the things that you see make us unique.
2: Well, I love the partnership with the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. I think we, uh, being so matrixed and integrated in one of the largest environments in the Southeast is a, is a real privilege for us, but also um, Prisma Health does prioritize medical students and in in that they got us back as one of the earliest schools back in the environment during the pandemic so that just showed their commitment to our students learning you can't teach uh, medicine totally remotely Um, i think that that's really important and also just the ability for our school to be known nationally as a leader in innovation Mm -hmm. um, I love that Dr. Yuki, Jerry mentioned that report, that erroneous report um, given that we're 800 primary care doctors short in South Carolina right now, which equates to about 3.6 million patient visits that w- will be a challenge for people. So if you, ne- I don't need a better mission for our medical school than to grow really amazing physicians, which we do. We accept the best and we uh, help develop the best clinicians not only that, but they are so um, ready to engage in that really big healthcare system uh, environment that complex, teeming, high quality, low cost care that we teach our students and all of that was envisioned by the founders, that we would be that type of a medical school. So we want to create physicians that will help change um, and move the needle for South Carolina and really for the nation.
1: Yeah, and let me add to what Marjorie said, Jen, she's absolutely correct. All of that and um, two other important things for the audience to realize is although we're short um, a large number of primary care physicians, state and national, and the actual numbers, we're short more specialists than we are primary care physicians. So uh, the point is we need to think of the shortage of physicians being in the aggregate mm-hmm. and not any one particular segment of it. And then the other thing I would add, which is sort of sobering, is that um, over the next decade in South Carolina, despite the number of new medical schools and students that have been added, we actually are going to continue to decline in the number of physicians in the state because of the large number of primary care and specialty physicians who are scheduled to retire in the next 10 years. Uh, And it's the reason, quite frankly, that the healthcare systems around the country, the ones that I mentioned, Um, most recent atrium um, have decided to try and fill their own pipelines Uh, and um, Geisinger started the medical school as well where I was before I hadn't had a medical school the whole time I was there 11 years and they now are the Geisinger School of Medicine it's all about trying to keep your number of physicians up in your healthcare system
0: yeah it's interesting to listen to both of you speak as a non-clinician spoiler alert for our listeners I am not actually a doctor just sitting here in between two incredible ones, but hearing the feedback of it's this combination of there weren't enough medical schools opening because of that erroneous report, and then physicians retiring, and you have a perfect storm of a gap of physicians coming. So even as a non-clinician, a non-clinician, I can hear that and think getting them in a healthcare system partnered with a healthcare system is even more important. Now, I, I can see that kind of from the outside, but I'd love for you to, again, to kind of walk us through from a layman's perspective, the advantages, the partnership with Prisma Health, our largest private not-for-profit health organization in the state, what does that mean for our students, for our faculty, and for our future physicians?
1: Yeah, so, um, for the healthcare system, as I said, it's pretty straightforward, it's a feeder program for one of their uh, most critical commodities, and that's physicians. For the school and for the students, um, it gives the students immediate access to a large healthcare system um, with faculty that are really dedicated to that school to help them train um, in whatever clinical specialty that they want to train in. So it's a win-win for both sides. And and I do, I want to go back to something Marjorie said and and emphasize it. Um, So as you both know, um, I sit on the accrediting agency, liaison committee on medical education and the data is becoming apparent um, that the students who were impacted by the pandemic, um, especially those who were delayed in returning to the clinical learning environment, um, have had a significant impact um, on themselves personally, as well as on their education. Now They'll all turn out to be great doctors, no question about that, but the healthcare systems that worked with their schools to get their students back in the classroom and back in the clinic, in the offices, as quickly as was safe are the ones that actually are ahead of the game.
0: Good for us.
2: We were out two months. I mean, some schools, unfortunately, were out much, much longer um, than that. So we really appreciate that. Our our students also learned telemedicine during that time. uh, That, you know, was a way to get access and with safety. So there were lots of partnership opportunities there with Prisma Health. I think the biggest one I see for us in the future is, is our um, research around population health, mm-hmm. around um, social determinants of health. So what impacts a person's health uh, that they live in daily, their environment, mm-hmm. um, access, and that our students um, really go out and get engaged in this community. I mean, right, day one, they are learning to be emergency medical technicians, EMTs, and they've been doing that since, I think we were the first school to do that in the country. And so they get to learn the community. They get to learn that when they pick up a person that may be suffering from an opioid use disorder, what, what environment that person will be going back to. Um, it, it builds a lot of empathy, our students have told us. Plus, they get to know um, their community and they get to engage with other health providers And bringing those patients into the ER etc and that's all before they enter class
0: yeah which is incredible which to both of your points that is not normal for a medical school that is innovative that is something we're proud of intentionally Mm -hmm. as we're working to fill our pipeline and staunch the gap for our physicians I want to point out on purpose by design We talk about filling our pipeline and training and retaining our students here to date of our graduating classes. We've been graduating classes since 2016, our inaugural graduation class. So far, 26% of our medical students have matched in the state of South Carolina. Um, Something to be proud of, I know for us, and I know something that we intend to keep working on.
1: So I would tell you something to be concerned about. Okay. Um, The data is clear nationally that if you educate medical students um, about 25% or so will stay in the state where they went to medical school. Um, If you bring students from outside the state into your residency program, about a quarter of those will stay in your state. But if you educate medical students in your state and then retain them in your residency program, almost 50% of them will stay in your state. And since we began this, uh, because of the shortage of physicians in South Carolina, we need more residency programs across the state, both in primary care and specialty care, in order to increase that retention rate from 26%, probably up to 50% or more.
2: To build on those numbers, because I'm a data person, um, is that across the country, medical schools are opening, Mm -hmm. new medical schools, hundreds of students, but, Mm the residency slots and programs are not growing at the same rate. So up to 5% of students may not match Mm. um, in their senior year Mm. of medical school. So think about it, going through medical school, given the need of the country for physicians, and then you don't have a residency spot because there's discordance. There's too many medical school seats to residency programs, and that cap happened back
1: was it the 90s, yeah. Wow. The, B- the Balanced Budget Act from 1997 is what capped the number of residents in the country, and it's not been increased except for small amounts since then. Wow. Um, and, and it's a problem in this state, not only for numbers, but also for specialty programs, mm. because we really, um, Marjorie will have to speak to what it's like now, but when, um, when I was looking at the students that left the state, many of them left for residency programs that we don't offer um, in South Carolina and certainly not in the upstate.
0: And that sounds the importance of the ongoing partnership with the health system in terms of doing everything we can to increase those spots. Because as you said, opening a new medical school is wonderful, that's step one though. Georgia
1: Georgia and Florida appreciate it very much.
0: (laughs) So we mentioned earlier because we were, you know, created um, out of a sense of urgency. We also didn't just want to start another medical school, right? We wanted to be innovative, and technology has played a significant role in that to the tune of School of Medicine Greenville being named an Apple Distinguished School in 2020, we talked a little bit. You heard us mention telemedicine. You heard us mention, you know, our students didn't drop a single day in med school in terms of the pandemic and the impact there, but tell us a little bit about the role technology plays in these new medical schools and for us specifically.
1: So, so I'll tell you, technology is critically important and my contribution to it was recruiting students and faculty and staff that knew how to do it. That was my <laughs> total role.
0: Fair enough, okay. So you were the recruiter for the experts and Dr. Jenkins, you coming in mm-hmm. to that and seeing kind of our existing technology in our existing sweet spot, how have we grown and elevated even since our inception? So technology
2: is outdated in a few years. We've invested a lot in uh, upgrading our classrooms. We're 10 years old. Um, our video meetings are now commonplace. So uh, that's a good thing, but also it's good for our students. Um, during the pandemic, we, they were able to attend virtually via WebEx. Um, And that meant a lot to them to be real time able to ask their uh, professor questions So we invested a lot in um, technology around that time Not all schools have an anatomy lab Uh, They use technology to do 3d anatomy. We have a gorgeous anatomy lab on the top floor of the building Uh, But high definition screens are important. We have high definition screens in our histology space Uh, so we what I say is, we are a medical school that was built to develop a different kind of physician. Mm-hmm. Our students, um, as everyone uh, hears about student debt, mm-hmm. um, and yet all of the discussion around student debt right now excludes medical student forgiveness, wow. even though our students will leave with um, almost $176,000 in debt. So, given all of that, I. I ask, um, when we invest in resources, I go, what is the student's ROI? Mm -hmm. Because they're our investors. They are the people that we come in and we do our jobs for and our community and our faculty. Um, But it's really about that student focus and Gen Y, Millennials, Gen Zs Mm -hmm. um, will tell you what technology is not working for them. And they will also tell you what technology they would like to have. <laughs> so they get, they get their iPads fully loaded when yeah. they come in. They wanted uh, um, pens for that. We had not provided those, but mm. we said, yes, we're gonna provide those to you. Sure. Um, that also is about inequity, mm. students who can't afford to mm-hmm. buy additional and students who can't afford to buy additional technology. So um, I'm also very aware of equity Hmm. around across our medical school absolutely
1: and and you know Jen I think the other thing um, that the technology speaks to it's sort of a surrogate for um, telling the students and the faculty all of us frankly that the key to providing good medical care in the future is to continue to access information and to learn without good technology it's very difficult to access most current information I used to try to emphasize that to the students by reminding them as they sat um, as incoming medical students that half of the information that they learned over the course of medical school would be out of date by the time they graduated. Um, simply which is only emfas- four years. Which is only four mind. years. Which yeah. speaks to the turnover uh, of medical knowledge. And so the technology is the key to being able to access something that is current rather than something that's in a textbook that probably is pretty much out of date by the time it's published. And so I think the technology as a foundation in a modern medical school is critically important.
0: Yes, and it's that practical encouragement towards lifelong learning, which as I have learned, is built into the field of medicine. You have to be willing to be a lifelong learner to execute it well. To treat your patients well all of that speaks to we talk a lot about School of Medicine Greenbow, that we are transforming medicine that's our goal that's our mission for our patients how do we do that on a daily basis Dr. Jenkins
2: I think it's the way we show up our students show up in the clinical learning environment in their third year we're told they um, behave more like fourth year mm-hmm. students they're very well prepared they're very strong um, we wanted to increase the percentage of our students that engage in research. Um, it was about 50%, 60%. Uh, we ha- are now at 95%. Um, why do we do that? That is because we want them to be critical thinkers and we want them to be lifelong learners. We want them to be able to ask the question that will improve that environment. So our students are engaging in what I call are um, for now research, mm-hmm. which is real research for real people
0: with real challenges now. Yeah. That's something even a non-clinician can understand can, yeah. and appreciate. I can get behind.
1: I think the other thing that's different um, about the school, it used to be a lot more different than it is now, mm. as other schools and healthcare systems mm. have embraced it, okay. is um, a focus not only on disease and treatment of disease, okay is a focus on prevention and wellness and lifestyle medicine and um, at uh, this school that was from the very beginning Mm -hmm. uh, and continues now um, because it's just important probably more important actually to keep people well and healthy than it is to treat them after they have a critical illness so it's another aspect of the school um, that used to be unique and I don't think is so unique now from what I'm seeing around the country.
2: Well, we're still the global leader in lifestyle medicine. We built out an open source website Mm -hmm. for our curriculum materials to be given away to other um, programs. We've had 400 registrants from all across the globe uh, and schools. We were just on a call with the CDC Foundation this morning about a conference to end hunger uh, at the White House that will take place sometime in late September, and they are Um, coming to us to ask us how we might be involved in that. We have faculty who have educated congressmen and women about the importance. There have been now legislation that's moving through about nutrition and ending hunger. Um, That's also about ending food deserts Mm -hmm. and things of that sort. So our school is, uh, I'm really proud to say, the leader in the U.S. I have no doubt in relation to lifestyle medicine which is good preventative medicine. And in a country that spends 95 cents on every dollar for taking care of disease, I love that we are a school that is trying to prevent disease um, before it starts.
0: Absolutely, I've heard Dr. Trilk say, who uh, heads up our lifestyle medicine, our students have said, you know, Dr. Trilk teaches us, we're on first patient. And so to take care of ourselves the way we are coaching, advising, guiding our patients, and learning that really their lifestyle is their first medicine, and then being able to share that with their patients. You've heard us talk about um, lifestyle medicine, our EMT certification program for our first year students. I think another thing we are proud of, especially in the state of South Carolina, is our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. With our student population, we know as of now our uh, students. 23% of our students are underrepresented in medicine, and I know our school has a commitment to continue fostering an environment of diversity, equity, inclusion. Would you talk a little bit about that? Maybe some of the efforts that have led into building out a school that looks like our state.
2: So that foundation was already here uh, from Dr. Yuki Dean Yuki, who had resourced that really made it a priority. Um, We are an extremely diverse school, um, to be in the Southeast, for sure. Uh, I get calls from colleagues that have 5% underrepresented across their four years. Uh, The founders also knew that we would need to give a lot of scholarships to be able to get students into our school. Um, And we are doing that. So what you see here is a culmination of good planning, Mm -hmm. uh, commitment, and our partnership with Prisma Health and have in our community in calling our students, our Levi S Kirkland Society um, physicians actually call our applicants, tell them why they should come here, sometimes two or three conversations. We really appreciate that. The Blue Cross Blue Shield Foundation of South Carolina, generous scholarship uh, and also now a decade long program Uh, for um, to bring student South Carolinians into our school, keep them in South Carolina um, for residency and then have them serve South Carolinians. So that's really what our goal is. Um, I don't, I really would love to keep all of my students here, our 430 students um, and we're growing, um, we're hoping to grow uh, the number of med students as well. Uh, in the state so that we can have more physicians. But right now, I think our goal when I walked in in day one was that we should look like South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's important for patients mm-hmm. to see physicians and healthcare providers that look like them. Absolutely. They, they report better quality care, they report better instruction, better compliance, mm-hmm. and they're tend to come back for that, uh, that really
0: needed follow-up care. Thank you. Dr. Yuki, anything you want to add
1: to that? Yeah, so probably two things. One is I think it's important always to remember why. Mm-hmm. I mean, Margie's right. Um, we, from the beginning, really tried to set up um, a path toward a diverse uh, student body and diverse faculty and so forth. But the reason is that we know, with data actually, that if you can diversify the learning environment the students are in, it actually markedly improves their education. Mm-hmm. Um, They learn from each other, Um, and if you're learning from your frat brothers, um, you're not going to have a very diverse learning environment, right? And so the more diverse you can make that clinical learning environment, the better the education is going to be for the students. Mm -hmm. When they become physicians then, uh, they'll learn very quickly that no two patients are the same. They all come from different backgrounds. They may or may not be different colors, but they're not the same patient. And so if they've learned in their learning environment that everyone is different, and that they need to learn about other people in order to be able to help them in terms of prevention and wellness as care, they're gonna be much better doctors for it. And that was the why. And then the one thing that Marjorie didn't mention that I think is critically important, and I know she does as well, and she'll pick up on this, is we started, I don't remember when, you would remember, we started something called the MedX Academy. Yes, in uh, 2010. Okay. <laughs> Let's see, the school opened in 2012. Uh, the MedX yeah, Academy was indeed. in 2010, so there you go. Um, and the MedX Academy effort was led by primarily Dr. Brenda Thames. Um, and it was a way to try to reach out into different education levels of students, originally in the upstate. And uh, I don't know what the numbers are like now, but I think the students come from beyond South Carolina at this yeah. point. Um, and identify um, high potential students um, from all backgrounds and certainly from diverse backgrounds that we would recruit um, from high school actually, um, and college, and then encourage them to come to our medical school. And to me, one of the neatest things about the MedEx Academy, besides the fact that it's successful, is unless they've changed it, it's mostly taught by the medical students, mm. um, which is a terrific way to recruit future medical students. Yeah. so.
0: I realize I'm biased, but watching our Rising M2 students teach, those MedX Academy Mm -hmm. students, it's watching those students who may or may not go on to medical school, but that intentional kind of mentoring back, setting that up, which you mentioned earlier, our faculty, they're training their peers, Mm -hmm. you know? So you look at that, our students, we want them to be excellent physicians because they're gonna be practicing alongside our physicians. That's intentional, and that's incredible to think about. Um, You mentioned earlier Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina Foundation. In our 10 years, we have had some incredible partners, some incredible community members, some incredible donors who have helped shape our school and our students. Can we talk a little bit about what that means to our school having That kind of support
2: well I think that of course I came in again to a community that wanted their own medical school and had talked about it um, and first investigated having their own medical school in 1965 so that was persistence and patience and perseverance on the part of the community the health system to have our school stood up Uh, a lot of generosity went in Mm -hmm. to um, getting those scholarships loaded um, being able to recruit students that really were pioneers right jerry coming in with hard hats (laughs) to go to their first classes um and so um scholarships so i tell people that people or organizations will give resources to either change lives or save lives and when you give a scholarship to a medical student you're changing a life and it's gonna impact every life that physician impacts and saves in perpetuity. You have literally lifted them up out of a mountain of debt that they would otherwise have so that they're free to choose family medicine as a as a a profession Mm -hmm. instead of having to go for a maybe a surgical specialty that pays more because they're gonna owe so much money. Um, I as you know, I love uh, engaging people with resources around helping our students. Um, I think there's a lot of pride in this medical school in this community, and it, it is shown by the generosity that really comes almost every week to, to us. Uh, people saying, how can we help? Talk to me about what you need. Um, it really touches my heart. That's
0: awesome, thank you for sharing.
1: Emeritus President Pastides, um, Educated me a lot about philanthropy. I was quite naive about it when I became dean um, And um, one of the things that I've learned is that there's not um, a lot of people around able to name a medical school Like the Geffen school at UCLA because the going rate across the country for naming a medical school is about a hundred million dollars So Harris Pastides used to say this is the best bargain in the country. You can name this school for 50 million And so so we're still looking for that $50 million donor, but we haven't found them yet. Um, But the community um, has been very generous and very helpful in regards to supporting scholarship for all students. Um, And I think, I don't know what the data is right now, but I think Marjorie has a fairly low um, debt burden for students that graduate right now compared to much of the rest of the country.
2: Yes, we're about 30,000 or more lower than the average and part of that is scholarships. Prisma Health gives us uh, Prisma scholarships. They're they're Prisma scholars. Mm -hmm. And without that partnership, we would have a marked decrease in our scholarship uh, giving. So part of uh, the partnership of all the positives we've talked about, I do wanna give Prisma a shout out, GHS before them for saying, we are going to give this much to scholarships every year. Because our medical school right now is operationally independent of the health system, and it was exactly as the founders planned it. Yeah. Uh, but that scholarship commitment that keeps coming to us every year, and there, to our students, um, that's invaluable to us. Uh, so that the community, uh, the community generosity, the belief in if if you if you cannot, I want to give a scholarship. My husband and I are talking about it (laughs) um, to the school. And we're going to do something. We're going to go ahead and start because, as you tell us, we can start anytime. That's right. Um, But I cannot wait to meet my scholar. (laughs) Um, And I know Dr. Yuki has an endowed scholarship. Sharon and and Jerry do. And so what does that feel like?
1: Well, we just met our third scholar um, two weeks ago, I guess. Um, and um, it's a very fulfilling way to use your money, quite frankly, because um, you support a student, we do anyway, yeah. through the four years of medical school. Um, and when you think of the number of lives that that student will impact over the course of their career, it's a really good investment. And, and let me just say so that Marjorie's correct, the community's been very generous, yeah. but we shouldn't get complacent. Um, because an increasing number of schools around the country are now free. Um, and I could name six of them, I won't, but I could, um, where through the generosity of donors, usually a large donor like Langone, for example, um, the um, schools are able to offer the students school with no tuition from the student themselves. And so, um, although the community's been very generous, the students have benefited from it a lot, our debt ratios are relatively low compared to much of the rest of the country. Um, more and more competition from schools that charge nothing to the student to go to school.
2: We are not resting on our laurels. No ma'am. As when I came uh, in in 2019 I was told well this isn't Texas like you're not gonna be able to raise a lot of money here. I thought really? I have found the community to be so generous. Yes. But my sort of big goal Mm -hmm. is to get the medical school named and to get um tuition covered Mm -hmm. and i believe i mean has anyone read the story of greenville south carolina
0: Mm -hmm. growing
2: the best downtown in america planning for 20 25 years mayor knox white Mm -hmm. unity park just drive around here we have vision and we have we have leaders that lead through that vision to reality and it doesn't happen overnight so it's not going to happen any it may not happen in a year i mean greenville built out in 25 years since they first started um really the planning i think 25 30 years when i read about the um sort of get it done attitude of greenville i was like this medical school is perfectly uh, founded in a city we have that same sort of um energy and vibe in our medical school it's get it done. And so I want free medical school, I want to name that medical school, I want someone to want to put their name Mm -hmm. on this amazing medical school. When you meet our students, I mean, you best part of my day is seeing students and them telling me how much our school has impacted them and changed their life. Um, It's just it's a lot
0: that energy, that kind of excitement, that engagement with the community is a great segue, thank you very much, into our 10th anniversary. We just capped our first decade and we are launching our next. Um, Tell us what it means to you to celebrate that marker and then to look ahead. Obviously, we're looking ahead at being able to name School of Medicine, Greenville, engaging with donors, who would understand that impact and that gift, not just for our generations of physicians, but for the thousands and thousands of patients that would be affected by their physicians. So, I'll back it up one more time. What does that milestone mean for you? And I'm gonna start with you, Dr. You. For me,
1: it's easy, it means we got the school open. <laughs> We stabilized it enough (laughs) that it survived. It it. recruited great students. Mm -hmm. And I retired um, in the fall of 2019, just before the pandemic came (laughs) and recruited someone that was able to take the school and keep it open and improve it uh, despite the pandemic to get us to our 10th year anniversary. And so the future should be wide open.
2: (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. Um, I believe that uh, celebrating the past 10 years uh, and really looking at I get to see, uh, from reading the history, looking at the financials from 12 years ago, uh, the agreement, I get to see the intentionality that was put into this agreement, this partnership with the health system. Uh, I get to see the names of community leaders that came to the table and said, yes, we want a medical school, here's why. We're gonna help support it. Um, I look at the next 10 years and say, my first question to many community leaders now is, if we're sitting here in 10 years, what would you like to be talking about that you would be proud of? So I'm gonna actually give that back to my friend and colleague, Dr. Yuki, and say, Jerry, if we're here, when we're here in in, uh, 10 years, what, what would be that next kind of vision?
1: So I I think in my own mind's eye, you've already mentioned a number of things that I would hope we would have. One um, is we'll still be here. Um, Number two is we'll have an increasing contribution of our graduates to the physicians across the state of South Carolina, predicated likely um, on an increased number of residency programs across the state. Um, We'll still be turning out physicians who are great practicing um, doctors um, as they go forward. Um, and then um, instead of University of South Carolina School of Medicine, Greenville, it'll be somebody, <laughs> University of South Carolina School of Medicine. That's
2: right. Yeah. And my goal over the next uh, years, that I'm blessed to be here, is to really grow out population health, health disparity research, mm-hmm. to find answers for South Carolinians, mm-hmm. and help PRISMA to uh, meet its purpose and take good care of the two-thirds of south carolina where we have a footprint so that's really my goal in addition to continuing to listen to our students and really hear them and let them tell us what they need um, to learn better what support do they need we take students uh, we have one of the most holistic uh, admissions processes in the country we take students that come from rural south carolina Lower socioeconomic means um, challenges, and cha- we call it distance travel, and that doesn't mean miles. Right. Um, it reminds me of myself growing up back in Appalachia, youngest of eight, coal mining family, told I could never be a doctor. Mm. I never want a student in South Carolina uh, or anywhere really that, that wants to come to medical school to ever be told no. Yeah. I want to. We wanna help them, we wanna build a pathway for them, we wanna bring them to the campus, let them see themselves, mentoring from our med students, Mm -hmm. students that look like them, maybe came from the same community. Mm -hmm. That is, I I want to really grow up a robust group of physicians from our School of Medicine, Greenville, that give back to whatever community they're located in. And we really do, Um, recruit people with the biggest heart and the biggest passion. I think Jerry, you told me that our students give back pre-pandemic 28,000 hours, community hours a year, um, to that. And so, um, I really want us to continue to live into that, find ways we can partner more, stronger, better, and also all of the things that Jerry said, (laughs) plus,
0: plus. Here's to celebrating well our first decade and to kicking off our next. Thank you both again for joining me today. For our listeners, for our viewers, this has been Just What the Doctor Ordered, the podcast from the University of South Carolina School of Medicine, Greenville. Please find all our updated news, exciting announcements, the day-to-day highlights of our medical school at greenvillemed.sc.edu. You can also find us on all your social media platforms, U of S C, S O M G. Again, thank you for joining us today, uh, and we'll be back to you soon. Thank you.